welcome to the Body Positivity Podcast with Diana and Arliss. And Diana, we have an amazing guest today. Who is it? We have the extraordinary Bonnie Jean Alford with us today. Bonnie Jean is an amazing, amazing woman. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Oh, actually, I get to introduce Bonnie Jean today. You're right. Go ahead. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Through her speaking engagements and writing of various styles and genres, Bonnie Jean Alford guides others to understand identity, their own, and societies. Trademarked as the identity guru, she believes people should know who they are, own it, and then share it boldly and beautifully with the world. This stems from her constant feeling that she didn't belong, a common trait of members of the Xenial micro generation. The solution for Bonnie Jean, the comfortable escape of beautiful music and a lovely bowl of butter popcorn. I bring you today our guest, Bonnie Jean. Woo! I'm so excited to be here and, and be quirky, I hope. <laughs> yes. Yes, we love the quirks. We love you as you are, Bonnie Jean. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm curious, has there been a part of your body for you that's been maybe easier to love than others? I, I, I've had body image issues my entire life. And I, I always have said I have beautiful eyes and left it there. Um, as I've gotten older, I, I really love my hair. Um, I have very thick, even, even when I lose troves of it from stress, I still have like really thick hair. So I just, I love my hair, but yeah. So I guess my eyes and my hair have always been the two things about myself that I just really love. And I never not liked them. So even as a kid, I had long hair that went past my buttocks and, you know, it was just always thick and long and some shade of reddish, brownish, blonde. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have to agree that I find your hair just absolutely gorgeous. And I have to admit that I am completely partial to genders. Um, I just think red hair is so gorgeous um, and it's so captivating. And I think that what I love about it is that for most people that I know that have red hair, they have very fiery personalities. And I don't know if it's the fire in their personalities that makes their hair red or it's their red hair that gives them license to have a fiery personality. It's interesting because Diana, you would totally qualify as a redhead if you wanted to be. Because you have a fiery personality too. So it's funny you bring that up because naturally, I mean, I do diet to get this firm shade of red, but naturally I have I have like this multicolored brown, red, blonde hair. And I have over the years sometimes dyed my hair blonde or some other shade, but this is the closest to my natural that any dye comes to. Um, for a while after I got divorced, I, I wanted a big change. So I said, I've never been a black haired person. So I went and dyed my hair black hair, like dark as night. You know, the hairstylist was like, you'll never look good with this black hair. You're too fair skinned. And I said, ah, so she talked me into doing highlights, but then she, she did the black hair and she said, you don't need highlights. You're beautiful with the black hair. The next week I went to a party at the college and the, the president of the college then comes up to me and looks at me and points her finger at me and shakes it and goes, 
turns around, turns back, and she goes, you're a redhead, and then walked away. <laughs> and then for the rest of her tenure at the college, every time she saw me with my black hair, she'd go, when are you going back to the red <laughs> Because she said my personality, my existence, everything about me exuded this red hair aspect of me. And, you know, it's not that I'm fiery. I'm just really passionate about things. And the red hair really sums me up. And so it's sort of my signature now. Yep. <laughs> red hair, red lipstick, red company colors, red everything. That's beautiful. I love it. So our next question is, is there an area or a part of your body that you have found it more challenging to love, but maybe you have changed your relationship with that part of your body over time? Can we talk real talk? <laughs> Absolutely. You can get real. Is this adult friendly? Um, so I was blessed. I, I don't know if I would have considered myself blessed in my young age with very large breasts as a kid. By the time I was in sixth grade and note that I skipped fifth grade. So I would have really been in fifth grade. I already had double D's. So imagine this 11 year old kid with double D's. By the time I got to college, I couldn't even buy bras without having them specially made. And every time I went to the doctor to see about maybe a breast reduction, they tell me I had to lose weight, but I was already super thin for my, you know, for my frame, though, according to their numbers and their charts, I was overweight. So they're like, you need to lose weight. And if I lost any more weight, I wouldn't have been healthy. And then, of course, I did gain weight and then I wasn't. But finally, I found a doctor who um, agreed to do the breast reduction. My insurance covered it all. He got it all approved because of the back pain from it. And after the breast reduction, I was able to stand up straight, buy bras off the rack, <laughs> go without a bra. I haven't wore a bra in like a year and a half. <laughs> that's that's because of, you know, being in our homes and never going out in the world. But I, I even if I was, if it was before that, it wouldn't even matter because like this breast reduction made me normal there instead of this horribly disformed in my mind feeling. And that surgery was February of 2000. One. And I remember it very clearly because it was also the same year 9-11 happened. So it was like this really massive year of transition. And it was also February 20. No, wait. Had, no, yeah, it was 2001 because it was it was February 28th. It was the last day of February. And February is also my birth month. So it was like all these big changes. And it was just a year of transition for myself and the world. And it, it was like this powerful aspect. Um, and it made it easier to walk. I got to say, if, if you, if you have large bosoms, fight for that breast reduction. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I hear you experiencing so much more freedom when you got to make choices about your body that served you and didn't necessarily, you know, like fit somebody else's measure of, you know, what you needed to what your weight needed to be, you know, or anything like that. Um, and yeah, the, the ability to feel comfortable with your breasts, I think is such an important thing. And I, I love that you took the steps that you needed to feel comfortable in your body. 
Yeah. And I also, I complete, I empathize, you know, my breasts weren't a double D by the time I was 10 years old, but they were like a full C and they continued to get bigger <laughs> as I got older. Um, and, and one of the things that um, was really hard for me, and I'm sure you experienced this too, but I don't want to speak for you. So I would love to know if this was your experience, um, is I got a lot of unwanted attention around my body for having such big breasts. Um, when I was really, I was a kid and, um, and it made, it created a situation where I started to hide my body and feel shame around my body, um, that I had to overcome as an adult woman. Um, did you go through that process as well? Oh yeah. I mean, and I remember being asked out by guys when I was in high school who all they wanted to do was touch my big boobs. And like the biggest nickname from guys was big boob Bonnie Jean. Well, actually it was just Bonnie back then, but I can't bring myself to say, but my name is not Bonnie Jean. Cause when I started going by Bonnie Jean, I felt whole and it never feels whole to say half my name. Um, <laughs> I feel incomplete. And it, even back in high school, I felt incomplete. And uh, so that was a part of it. But yes, the unwanted attention. Um, and I think when I started gaining weight too, like I started eating more and not caring. I mean, I already looked like I was giant because the breasts were like out to here, you know, so far out that I had to wear like I had to wear a shirt that was like a 5X for my breasts but my body was still a one or two X. So I would be wearing these huge baggy shirts and I would look much bigger than I was. So I started eating and turning to food to get comfort because I felt so much hate for how I had to look. And I wanted to wear tight clothes and I wanted to wear these cute outfits, but I just never could. And this was reiterated when I, my, my senior year of high school, I had to get a physical. And the doctor, um, I think I told this story at the conference we met at, but I, the doctor I went to for the physical, he walks in the room. I'm sitting there with my arms crossed and he doesn't see my breasts. He just sees my face. He sees my, my skin and bones on my arms and he's telling me how thin I am and I need to gain weight. And then he looks and sees a number that I weighed 200 pounds at 17 and said I needed to lose weight because I was too heavy. And it didn't make any sense to me how I could look so emaciated and need to eat. And so all that did was confuse me. And then I went and ate and, and just got bigger and bigger. And, you know, by the time I, by the time I got to grad school, when I was able to get the surgery, I was about 75 pounds, actually overweight for my normal body size. Um, but eh, that's how the world works, I suppose. Not that it should. Yeah, I find it kind of unfortunate that in Western medicine, there's so much focus on the number on a scale instead of the overall health of an individual um, and recognizing where that weight is distributed to, to identify possible health concerns or, you know, things like that. Um, because we, we know from science that weight distributed in certain areas is actually an indication of really unhealthy processes going on in the body. Um, and not to say that that's what was going on for you, but it's like, that's not even a discussion, you know, like it's not even a discussion for most Western mm -hmm. doctors. And Diana, I saw you on mute. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, you know, I I was thinking a lot about um, what you shared, Bonnie Jean, when it came to um, our relationship with food and how that can show up um, in times where we are looking for emotional comfort and how, you know, like how we can use food in these different ways. And sometimes it can be in avoidance of it or it can be a movement toward it. And it's really interesting to see how... Um, how food is something that like all of us have an, an emotional relationship with to some degree and really seeing and understanding and um, unpacking that is, is, is a lot. How is it that you started to gain awareness of, um, of the emotional nature of like your relationship with food? Um, from an early age, it was the only thing I could control. Like everything else in my life was manipulated and, twisted and controlled by my mother or other circumstances in life, but I could control how much food I ate, how little food I ate. Even if my mother made me feel guilty or, or, or criticize me because I didn't want to eat the pork, uh, the, 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 the ham at Christmas dinner the first time, because I realized ham was making me sick and pork was making me sick. I, I realized that my junior year of high school. And so I stopped eating pork altogether and she got mad at me and I said, no, I'm not putting it in my body. And she goes, well, I'm not making you anything else. And I said, I didn't ask you to, <laughs> I'll eat what I can eat and I'm not going to eat any of the ham. And so it was the first time in my life I felt empowered because I didn't want to be sick from this food that made me sick. And she didn't care. She believed that I was making it up or you, how could you be allergic to ham or not eat ham? Nobody can not eat ham. And it's like, it, it was just something like that. So it, it, I didn't quite understand it then what was going on. I've of course done a lot of reflection, but as I got into college and I continued to use food as a crutch and a, an emotional crutch, because again, it was the only thing I could control. Um, interestingly, I, instead of gaining 15 pounds, like most freshmen do, I lost 15 pounds when I went to college because I didn't want to eat in front of people. It was this, um, embarrassing thing to do to eat in front of people because food was such a, a personal thing for me. And people would, I'd go down to the cafeteria and people would go, aren't you going to eat? And I'm like, yeah, I ate earlier. I didn't eat earlier, but I just didn't want to eat in front of people. And I, I did have to get over that because I was hungry all the time. And then I was binging on things like potato chips and spending money I didn't have. Uh, eventually I did start eating more in the cafeteria and then I put on a whole lot of weight, but we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> or we can, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I think that for me, you know, I definitely experience the freshman 30, um, <laughs> for sure. And, but, and a lot of it for me was, um, I stopped being anorexic in that freshman year of college. So I was anorexic and bulimic in my, in high school and in the, like the beginnings of my first year of college. And, um, and one of my friends at the time noticed like I, like, like you said, you know, I'd been so secretive my whole, you know, for so many years around eating or not eating and like what that looked like. And because I was in a dorm situation and I was sharing so much time with people, one of my friends noticed, 
um, and called me on it. And, uh, and that allowed me to see what I was really doing and, and get help with that. And, and I think that one of the things that I did was I kind of rebelled with food <laughs> and went the whole opposite direction, right? Which I think is super common as well. Um, so, you know, I, I love that you are speaking so openly and honestly and talking about these things. I think that these are things that a lot of our listeners have experienced, even in like smaller ways you know, being restricted with food and then being overindulgent with food because they were restricted with food and, and all of those things. So I really appreciate that. I would love to know from you, what is one of your favorite self-love or self-care practices? Well, my favorite thing to do with my time is go to my nail salon and have my pedicure and my manicure and talk with my wonderful, amazing manicurist. And I haven't been able to afford it because this year has been a horrible, tremendously horrible financial hurricane. Yeah. Hurricane's the good word for the financial situation I've been in this year. So I have not been able to get a manicure or pedicure in a few months because, well, I have to be able to justify first paying my rent before I can go get it. And I, I end up with these horrible um, ingrown fingernails that end up very painful when I don't get the, the manicures and, and the pedicures. So it's more than just, you know, having my fingers look pretty. It's also uh, a medical need because I end up with infections and the like if I let it go too long. And I'm just um, really love it. It makes me feel good about myself. It makes me feel pretty. And now that I've discovered um, they have these powder, this powder that you put on it that makes them really strong, but it's not really thick like acrylic. So it doesn't make your nails like die. And it's just this great, powerful way. And, and Lynn, who's my nail um friend, my nail friend, because we're friends too. We're not, it's not just, she's my nail lady. She's my friend too. She respects how I want them shaped to honor me. And I think that's really important. Like you have to be willing to spend a little bit on yourself so long as you can meet your obligation. If you're struggling to pay your rent, you don't get to go get your nails done. Um, even if it makes you healthier in your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's my, my favorite thing to do when I am, when I'm flush enough. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, um, how do your nails relate to your identity? As you, you know, I hear you talking about, um, you know, that, that being a means of self-care for you. What is, what does that feel like? Um, I don't know if I've ever thought about that. Uh, I, I, I am on the spot here. Ah, um, I think that growing up really poor and always moving and not ever having the ability to, um, have nice things or, or nice clothes until I was into adulthood. And actually until about 10 years ago, I would say 90% of the things I owned were gifts from people. I, I didn't buy things for myself except for necessities like furniture and food and occasionally candles. Um, and then things I needed for work like books or 
or my camera equipment since I did photography at the time. Um, but I didn't buy things to frivolously have just for myself. I didn't, I've never really been that person. Even now that I do occasionally buy a book just for the sake of reading or, or buy something for me. Um, I, I don't do that a lot. I don't, I just don't. Um, I have been taking and ordering out a little more than I had been before because I'm like, well, you've got to eat either way. So I could buy groceries or buy Japanese food. And it's the same principle. Like, you know, I have a little bit of money. I, I should use it to buy myself some nice things and having nice nails, you know, looks a whole lot better too. Like when you shake hands with someone and you've got like infection and, and, and ingrown fingernails that have been ripped out, it doesn't look good. And when you're dealing with potential clients, you want to look your best. Even if you aren't in perfect shape, your nails can at least be nice. I, I hope that all made sense. I, I was very stream of consciousness there. <laughs> I loved it. Thank you. No, I just, I, um, I was curious about your thoughts on that. Um, and I, I loved what you shared about, um, you know, just realizing that like spending money on ourselves is also an act of self-love, like, um, finding a way to take care of ourselves that it's not just about like meeting our bare needs, but how can we, how can we treat ourselves well as well within the constraints of our budget, whatever that happens to be for us. Right. Thank you. What would you say is one tip that you give um, for someone who wants to reconnect to their body when a negative pattern arises? Um, I'm trying to figure that out myself right now. So <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm I'm struggling with that uh, because the last 18 months or so I've put back on hundred pounds of the 150 I lost. And I'd already put back on about 40. So I've gained back almost all of the weight I'd lost uh, several years ago to, so I'm back where I started from in this really high weight that I, I just don't, I don't feel comfortable saying that number, but just imagine I've lost, I'd lost 150 pounds. And this number, when you tell people you'd lost that, they, there's like this new respect for you when you're overweight. It's like, oh, you're, you're, you lost weight. How wonderful. Otherwise, you're just this lazy person. And because of um, this whole lockdown and being, you know, for the most part at home and always at home, and then I've got some knee issues. So going up and down the stairs has become harder and harder and, and um, like to the point where actually my knees collapsed under me to a couple of weeks ago and I couldn't I fell on the ground and couldn't get up for an hour. And it was really difficult because I live alone. I'm like, I had no one to call. And I realized I had no one to call. And I'm like, well, how do I deal with this? I'm not happy with where my body's gotten back to. And so there are moments in the day where I, I just look at myself or, well, not really, because I'm not looking in a mirror, but I, I look at myself metaphysically kind of, and say some not so nice things to myself because I've put on this weight. But what's really interesting is I found that my clothes all fit the same. And I've been noticing, you know, your point, Arliss, about where you're gaining the weight. Like the places I'm actually gaining the weight are really odd places that aren't affecting how my clothes fit and aren't affecting other things, but they are affecting my legs a lot. So I'm like, okay, I have to think about this. But I've been really trying to respect the weight. I know that sounds weird but like respect that it's there 
And I have, a, I cannot like it. Like, it's okay for me to not like it. It's okay for me to even be disappointed in myself for letting it get back out of hand and letting food get out of hand as a recovered overeater. You know, sometimes I, you know, you fall back into those. And when you feel alienated and, and cut off from the world, I literally turned to pizza and ate like a pizza a day for three months, which is probably why I gained a hundred pounds. But anyway, <laughs> um, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> um, because I didn't feel good either. Eating that much pizza is just not good for you, especially when you're not supposed to eat gluten. Um, but it's, it's just, you know, you have to be patient and respect your situation and where you're at and, and be okay with being upset with yourself. Like that's the best tip I can. Cause we, we beat ourselves up so much over everything that you know, it's okay to beat ourselves up, but then be okay with the fact that you did and then move on from it. Um, and then as I said to somebody, you know, sometimes I just need to cry and be sad and be upset at myself for like 10 minutes a day or an hour in a day. And then the rest of the time I'm good. I have no problems. I'm confident. I'm happy and it's all good. But I have that moment where I just like shut down and sometimes we need that. I think I, I feel like I'm rambling though. <laughs> I I hear you. Um, I hear you. I, it's interesting. Um, recently I, I got married in November. Um, and I, I hadn't purposely lost a lot of weight before the wedding, but I, it had happened organically just because I was like the most nervous bride on the planet. Um, not because of my partner or any of that, um, had nothing to do with him. Um, but eating wasn't, wasn't easy for me during that time. And so of course, as soon as I, um, got married, um, I gained 10 pounds like right away, um, because I was eating again, (laughs) I wasn't terrified anymore. I was eating again. Um, and there's that part of me that, felt that like, oh my God, what if I tell people I've gained these 10 pounds or what if people know or, and, or, you know, and like feeling shame around that. And I had to like, have that moment with myself where I was like, Hey, like bodies change, bodies change. It was this way at this point, And it's this way today. And it's going to be something different in a month, whatever that is. And I can treat my body in loving, healthy, caring ways. And my body is still going to change depending on how stressed I am, depending on, um, what foods I'm eating, how much body movement I am experiencing, how kind I am to my body. Right. Like, so all of the, what my health experience is in my body. So all of those things go into body change and it's just body change. And it's no reflection on who I am as a person or my worthiness. And what I hear you talking about is going through that same process with yourself is just like, acknowledging the change that's happening and like seeing the change that's happening, but releasing the judgment around it and, and looking at, well, if I want to affect change in my body, um, by not eating pizza every day, which I'm a total pizza holic too. If you need a good reference for a grain-free, um, gluten-free pizza, I have one. Um, but not eating pizza every day, like that can be a major shift. Like that, that in itself 
to be a major shift. And so I love that. I love that you are being gentle and loving to yourself in that way. Diana, I also saw you on mute and I don't want us to go by without getting your, your wisdom and expertise as well. Yeah. You know, um, I think that like, like I can definitely relate to this idea of like losing weight and then gaining it back and then having some form of judgment about myself in this. And in the Facebook group, I see Shirley sharing, you know, that she also can relate to what you were, what you mentioned, Bonnie Jean, you know, she gained weight and lost it. And, you know, I was upset about the weight that she had gained back. And I I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, I, I definitely have done this myself. I've gained, I think maybe 20 to 30 pounds during COVID. Um, and lately I've decided I've decided to consider a pursuing a career as a plus size model. And I'm like, I, I'm not yet plus size though. And I'm like, well, I have to get bigger to become a plus size model. I kind of thing is like how I'm starting to think about things in the world. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I won't change in size. Maybe I do like who really cares. Um, but I realized that like probably the thing that mattered the most in that journey for me, wherever that leads is like, owning my body and the skin that I'm in, like wherever she is right now, like there's, there's somebody to whom my body is aspirational, no matter what I think about it. And the more I can be proud in this skin, cause I'm not going to get another meat suit, the, the better that I can feel. And I think that that's something like, that's like really the, maybe just the mindset of a, like a plus size model is what I really want to take on is like, a woman who feels confident in her skin. Like, why do I have to feel bad about, you know, gaining weight? Like, why does it have to mean something about me? Can't it just be, you know, like, and like even talking about that, right? Like people will praise us when we lose weight, but then they either shame us or ignore if we gain weight. Or they insult us, right? I've also heard people who say things like, you're prettier when you gained weight kind of thing, you know, or like have some form of like, judgment that they need to issue about what happened to your body and it's really like in both cases it's nobody's it's not there for anybody to comment on is my feeling you know well and it's funny you bring up this plus size model thing because I actually did research into it several years ago and it has changed some over time but at least 20 years ago I, I don't know if you're aware, but the average size woman in America is a 12 or a 14. Marilyn Monroe was a size 14. And we praise people that are size zeros and size twos and size threes. But size 12 and 14 is the average size woman. And it's actually gone up a little bit since that from 15 years ago. I read something recently that it says the average woman now is like a 16. And plus size models back then were a size 12. And the stores that sold plus size clothes don't even start at 12. They start at 14 and go up. And it wasn't until Lane Bryant started saying, wait a minute, we need real women to do models. They started having plus plus size models who were size 14, 16. But most of their models still didn't go above 16 or 18. You didn't have the 24s and 26. That's been a very recent thing in the last couple of years. And it's just this really interesting focus on this idea that you even have to put a plus before to say someone's a plus size model. 
just say someone's a model and that then you're modeling different sizes, different people. And I, I, I really wish I could use Dove products because their whole mission is to show that it's for real people and they have all sorts of different looks and sizes and shapes and everything. And, and they, they stopped, I don't know if you were aware, they stopped doing the touch-ups on pictures. So like the real skin, like with any spots and anything like that. And it's just such a beautiful image of honoring the internal beauty and external beauty that is just naturally within all of us because we're all different and their products break me out. But I like encourage people who don't break out to buy Dove as much as you can, because it's just so amazing of a product. And no, I'm not being paid to say that. Yeah, I remember, I believe that it was two years ago around Christmas, I got a Victoria's Secret ad in the mail and I was blown away because the woman that was featured on the front cover had rolls. She had rolls and like a booty and you could see like the dimples in her booty and in her thighs, right? You know, because... That's what normal skin looks like when you have not a completely muscle toned butt (laughs) and whatever. Right. Um, And I was so blown away and captivated and just thrilled that Victoria's Secret. And she was like in this pose where her knee, I can't do it because we're on Zoom and that would be interesting to watch me try. But her knee was like up by her chest and like she had rolls all the way, not just one, like multiple rolls down the side of her body. And I was like, wow, this is a real woman on Victoria's Secrets ad. Now, I don't know that they've changed their sizing. Like, I don't actually know that they offer sizes that are like 2X, 3X, 4X or anything like that. I don't believe that that is the case, but at least the woman that was in the advertisement looked human, right? Like looked like a woman that I would see in real life. And I, I, I think that that is so beautiful that, that more companies are doing that. One company that I also really love, and I buy a lot of products from them, um, is old Navy. And again, I'm not a rep of theirs, but what I, what I love is that they have clothes that are from a size double zero all the way up to a size 26, I believe. Like it's, it's like, it's a very wide range and most, um, most companies do not give that kind of range. You know, what's interesting is old Navy didn't used to have that, that when I was in high school and college, I wanted to shop at old Navy because it was like, my friends really liked old Navy and I wanted to try it out and they never had anything in my size. They, 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 they claimed to go up to size 18 at the time, but they never had anything on the shelves above a size 12. And recently I've been seeing that they are really focused on being the store for everyone. And like, I think one of their ads was even like, we're the place for the whole family, for everyone to come. Everyone can find something here. And it, it's, it, I really like that where the world is starting to change and companies really want to embrace that there is all this difference across humanity. I mean, like, we, I don't know when we started expecting people to all fit in the same box and be exactly the same, be the same shape, same size, same hair color, same whatever that none of that is ever going to happen. <laughs> so I, I, I do love that old Navy's doing that. So I agree. <laughs> yeah. 
So our final question to you for the podcast today is what, what societal norm do you feel like um, you either subscribe to or don't subscribe to, or have fought against through your life? Um, This notion of beauty in our world. Um, You know, my entire mission in life is actually to redefine beauty. I'm I'm going to be launching a not-for-profit at some point. That's all about redefining beauty. And the whole idea is we are taught from an early age to question whether we're beautiful and we're taught whether we're male, female, tall, short, that, you know, whatever, whatever walk of life we are, we are taught that just like that doctor um, who confused me in the same 10 seconds, you're too thin. No, you're too fat. Though he didn't use the word fat, but still, you know, it was that image. How are we supposed to understand what we're supposed to be if the world gives us these conflicting messages, you know, and, you know, there's a poem that, that came out about women and suddenly I make my students watch it and suddenly I can't remember the name of it, but it's about women being um, a good person and, and presenting themselves well. And, and we're supposed to be a lady, they said, and that's, that's the name of the poem. And it, and there's this video. So if you do a search for be a lady, they said um, it, it's just really disturbing how they show the conflicting messages we get. And so I want to start teaching children, especially that beauty has nothing to do with what you look like in the mirror, what other people tell you you are. And we need to start telling people they're beautiful. And it's not about, you know, skin being perfect or hair being, you know, lovely or any of that. And I actually will walk up to tell brand new men that I just met, you know, you're beautiful. And I get some very interesting looks, but that's that's just me. Um, But it's not about anything sexual and it's not about anything other than recognizing that we're all beautiful in our own way. We're all beautiful. We're all brilliant. We all are an individual that may have similarities to others, but we are a unique being that was put here by whatever you believe. And we're, we're a speck in the universe. That's just perfect as we are but beautiful. And we need to start telling people that and reflecting that. And I think if we start seeing that, we will start seeing a drop in things like bullying, racism, name calling. I'm like so anti name calling of any kind. It's just, you know, because it's an adversity to beauty and to honoring beauty within us. So that that's what my whole mission is. And it's, um, are you familiar with the book Charlotte's Web? I'm actually naming the, it, it, naming the the not-for-profit in honor of that book, because Charlotte's mission was to teach a pig, which is perceived as ugly in our world, how beautiful he was. And by the end of the story, I hate to ruin it for people, but by the end of the story, Wilbur is teaching Charlotte's children about being beautiful because Charlotte, as you know, with spiders, once they have their, their kids, their, their little baby spiders, most, most species of spiders die so she had her babies and then she died. So Wilbur became the father to all her babies. And so she, he retaught the lessons that she gave him. And that's, that's what the premise of my not-for-profit is going to be. So, wow. yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Bonnie Jean. Um, you know, as we get ready to close here, I'm curious, do you have any last words that you want to share with our listeners today? Um. Don't be afraid to just be unapologetically you. 
own everything about yourself, even the stuff that you're not happy with. You know, as Arliss said, you know, our bodies change, our existence change, our feelings change, life changes. You know, you lose a job, you're unemployed for three months, four months. You you have to deal with things. You have stresses, you have non-stresses. Try new things. You know, I saw a meme recently that said, be afraid to, don't be afraid to fail at something new or to struggle at something new or, or something like that. Try new things. Step outside your comfort zone every day, at least once or twice, even if it's, you know, your, your knees hurting. So standing up to walk across the room hurts, but do it anyway, because it's good for you. Just so long as you don't hurt yourself when you do it, you know, find those limits, but just do be exist, live life. And, and don't worry about what other people think. Just be, be you (laughs) hashtag be you. That's actually one of my hashtags. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie Jean, for joining us. I just want to take a moment to thank Bonnie Jean for being here with us today. So thank you for joining us today and we'll be back. So join us the following week with our amazing guest, Freya, and we will see and hear you all then. Thank you. Bye.